lights, camera, we're going live. Learn the ins and outs of live events from today's top business leaders and how to make yours epic. Here's your host, Aaron Smith. All right, welcome to another episode of Epic Live Events. We're talking huge events today with Philip Taylor of FinCon. Philip, thank you so much for coming on today. Aaron, pleasure to be on. Yeah, I mean, you've been, I, I've talked about this before, you've been mentioned on the podcast. This is not your first time your name's been brought up, all in good ways. Uh, I've talked about the help you've been to me. Uh, I know Natalie of BizChick has talked about the help you've been to her. I mean, you've just been really instrumental in helping others because you've got FinCon now. This was your eighth year? It's our seventh, yep. Seventh year. Okay, so you're going into your eighth year. And I was able to attend this year. Just an incredible event you've got going on. I mean, you, you, you do so many things well. So I definitely want to talk about that. But you weren't an event person when this all started seven years ago. So can you talk a little bit about the story of you got this idea, you got some people together, and how you put on the very first FinCon? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I wasn't an event person. I like to joke that the only event I've ever thrown is my wedding, which I actually did help our, my wife out a lot with the <laughs> wedding. Um, but uh, yeah, I had no idea that this would be something I would do. Um, but I found a tribe of people online that I really connected with and I wanted to be together in person with. Uh, we were hanging out uh, in forums back then and on social media, blogging and uh, forming this little community and uh, started to go to other conferences to meet these people and just really got the feeling that, you know what? This is a this is a good tribe of people. Back then, it was the personal finance blogging community, and uh, you know, I said uh, it was it was it was around that time a year before I had just gone full time, quote unquote, with my blog, and so I needed another side hustle, um, and and an event was something that uh, was was kind of on my radar to bring all these people together. You know, I, I read an article in January of 2011 because um, I'd gone to Blog World Expo a few times before that. And this article said something to the effect of 28 or 20, 2018, 2011 is going to be the year of the niche blogging conferences, you know? Um, and it just, that article just kind of gave me the permission, you know, that was all the permission I needed. And I said, well, I'll do it. I'll do the darn thing. And I talked to my wife, uh, as I do many times late at night, laying in bed about all these ideas and <laughs> dreams and bug, bug her with it. And she's like, enough already. Just like go get the website going and get this thing going. So those couple of things kind of gave me the validation. And then I did some more validation within the community itself to make sure that it was something they wanted. But, uh, but that was kind of the story of, of how I, I got to that point. That's awesome. And you got really brave because you live in the Dallas area, but your first event was in Chicago, correct? That's right. It sure was. Yeah. yeah. So you you did this whole thing from afar. Can you, I mean, I can't imagine. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about that too? Just try to organize your first event, A, not fully knowing what you're doing and B, being a, a thousand miles away. Yeah. Yeah. In hindsight, that was pretty crazy, but I was, <laughs> it was <laughs> really, it's pretty crazy in <laughs> hindsight. So it's okay. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, it was really about serving this community and making sure that it was something that they wanted. And, uh, there were about you know ten people who I really wanted to be at this conference, and I had already created a map of where all the personal finance bloggers lived in the United States. I was that geeky about this community, um, and 
And so I actually plotted what's, what big city w- would be closest to like, you know, 10, these 10 biggest people. And it ended up being Chicago. Um, and, um, and so that was kind of what gave me permission to use Chicago as kind of our launching pad for it. And I actually wanted to be in downtown Chicago, but then after talking to a hotel, uh, court, uh, broker, which they're these, um, in the events industry, there are people who sit between the hotels and you as the planner. And, uh, I was lucky enough to stumble upon one. She just reached out to me and said, Hey, I can actually help you with this, all this for free. The hotels pay me to kind of find find a good spot for you, and that was a heaven sent because I had no idea about that in the industry or how I would contact hotels or do any of that part of it. But she sort of sat in between all that for me, and uh, we ended up outside of Chicago in Schaumburg, Illinois, a little suburb there, um, which ended up being a fantastic place to launch it. But uh, it's funny, just. I wanted to be in downtown Chicago <laughs> that first year, but you know, we settled for Schaumburg because it was much more for, you know, much more affordable for everyone who was coming in, which again was something that they told me, you know, in our pre-conference surveys that was really important to them to keep the cost down. So, um, so that's kind of why we went that direction, but yeah, Chicago was fun. And in fact, it's my goal to, at our 10 years to be back at Chicago uh, oh, so do our to do do FinCon twenty twenty in Chicago, and uh, actually do it in downtown. This I was going to say maybe you'll be in downtown this time. <laughs> uh, I, so can you talk about the community? Because like you said, you started with a community, you built a community, you validated with your community, and being in the Facebook group right now, I can tell you that's you've got an incredible community going on. The Facebook group is is active. Out of and, and, and FinCon ended uh, several months ago, and the community is still really active, very involved, very kind. You've just built a, a great community. Can you talk about, I'm sure some of it happened organically and accidentally, but have you done certain things to really make sure you're cultivating that correctly and, and bringing in the right people? Yeah. Yeah. What I like, what I've always liked to do with my event, I think it's just because the nat- nature of how it was set up was. Um, you know, I wasn't the star. I was kind of a B-list blogger at the time, but I really just liked the people, you know, and when I put the event together, I put other people on stage as much as possible. I involved as many of the people in the community, uh, let them bring sort of aspects of the event to it. For instance, we have an award show at the conference that we put on that I don't even touch. It's just an outside organization that existed before FinCon that uh, they handle that. And so, there's things like that in the conference where members of our community have reached out to me along the way and just said, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did this? And I vet all those ideas and, you know, say yay or nay to them. But, uh, that's kind of how we've built a, a big, big chunks of the event were for basically user submitted type, you know, aspects of it. Another thing we do, I feel like that contributes to like a community vibe is we really de-emphasize the speaker role. So we pulled from the community. So we call them, it's a peer event, really. Um, so we, we, we ask people from our community to speak to other members of our community and share their best ideas. So we're not as necessarily pulling in as many outside experts as maybe other events do, which we, we, we try to do maybe 10, 15% of our speakers are from the outside. Uh, but we have to be really careful with that because we have to kind of coach them like, okay, here's what our community expects. Here's who they are, you know, who they are. And uh, if you want to continue to speak at FinCon, this is kind of how you have to roll. You know, you have to kind of get in with everyone instead of being this, you, you know, you're the speaker on this level and everyone else is on this other level. So, um, 
you know, involving as many people as possible, creating that tone of collaboration where everyone's sort of working together and bringing ideas together. Um, and then the Facebook group, which actually was something that one of the attendees brought to me and said, Hey, you really need, we need to have a Facebook group. And so she's the one who started it. Um, and uh, it's been fantastic. I would highly recommend a, a Facebook group. And even in the group, we try to create a good culture by, you know, not allowing any self-promotion and um, just kind of continuing that spirit of collaboration. Yeah. I, and I, you can just tell, like, people really feel invested in it. And I'd love to talk about that line because I, I'm doing, I'm asking this question selfishly because I'm a control freak, uh, <laughs> uh, very much a control freak. How do you let people run with certain things yet still make sure everything's aligned and kept in? Cause they're not technically employees of, of FinCon, but they're, they're helping, they're bringing in their, their perspective, their expertise. Are you having a lot of meetings with them? Are you just kind of at that point, if they come to you, are you trusting that they know that they can align? How do you manage that? Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. That's, it's a, that's a, people relationship sort of thing. And I, I'm a little bit of a control person too. So, and that hasn't been easy, but it's been so valuable to be able to do it. Um, you know, these are people, I think I took the posture of this is their event just as much as mine. I just happen to be lucky enough to want, and, and you know, that's fun to say whatever. And I do profit off the event. I'm happy I do, <laughs> but um, I'm also really happy the community let me put it on because I, I just feel like, um, you know, they, they allowed me to do that. And so I've always kind of had that posture. So I'm always willing to listen, right? And I'm going to listen at least to what their ideas are. But, um, you know, if it's not a hell yes, you know, I usually try to say no. Um, but if it's someone who's in really invested in our community a long time, I'm really going to pay attention to that and work with them. So, yeah, in those first attempts, I will probably hold their hand pretty close or try to control it. Um, and uh, luckily, I have a team now that kind of helps me do that. But uh, and a fantastic event planner and Jessica, who who maybe does a lot more of that back and forth with those types of folks. Um, and then just over time, I get comfortable with them with them doing it, and then they get more and more free reign with it, and I completely trust them. But there's been times when things have turned out negatively. Uh, for instance, oftentimes you know, we'll let those third parties kind of work with a sponsor that might have worked with me directly. And so we just have to kind of work out like, okay, well, how much of that sponsorship fee should go to the main conference and how much should go to you as the sort of sub event. Um, and you know, those are just conversations or, you know, sometimes contracts or whatever that have to be worked out, um, to get comfortable with how everyone's working. And then, you know, you may have a year where they underperform and they don't meet the sponsor's expectations or the attendee ex ex expectations. And, you know, we have to kind of pull things back and say, nah, we're going to take that next year. We're not going to kind of allow that to be controlled from someone else. So there's been moments of disappointment with it, but it's been far more, you know, much more yeah. positive in the long run and overall um, than I would say detrimental. So, yeah, always, always good when the pros outweigh the cons. Yeah. Yeah, and and the and the pie is only so big in terms right. of the event. It's a four day event, and we grow. We continue to try to grow it and add things to it, but we're getting to a point where it's just stuffed. You know, we've got too much going on almost, and uh, so for something to be added to the event at this point, it's got to be. It'd be have to be pretty special. Yeah, now that's it. Like I said, it's it's a great event, and I want to segue into sponsorship because walking into your facility or into your event, I mean, the sponsorship area is beautiful. 
just from what I saw, uh, people commenting. I mean, everybody was so active with the sponsors. Like even after the event, people were talking about their swag and, you know, I mean, the sponsors had to be happy because all their stuff's getting posted in the Facebook group. Uh, how have you, can you talk about some lessons learned with sponsorship? Because it seems like you've, you're doing it well. It seems like you've got happy, um, happy sponsors and happy attendees with the sponsors. I think there's, you know, they really seem to be interacting. Can you talk a little bit about how that's evolved and grown too? Sure. That was tricky the first year. Um, luckily I was already in the industry and so I had contacts as these were my advertisers for my blog, right? So I just reached out to them and said, hey, you put an ad on my site. Would you also maybe come to this conference with all these other bloggers? So in terms of talking to them, I always try to talk to them about the leveraged aspect of our event. So <clears throat> we were a small event at first. We we're only 250 people. So, but I didn't talk about those 250 people in the room. I talked about the number of readers, followers, listeners, the influence that these people had. So I, I was selling that influence, right? Mm -hmm. um, we didn't do an expo hall the very first year. We just sort of put tables in the hallway. And that was sort of released as a second phase to our sponsorship sales. So I would encourage you, this worked for me. I created sort of two events at first. One that was just where sponsorships would meet sort of the basic needs of the conference and throw parties and things like that, sort of insert them into the components of the event that were costly, right? Which makes sense. And they help you budget and build the event. But then you open up the expo hall, which was kind of, or, or the uh, exhibit area, which the first few years was in the hallway there, 10 tables or so. And that was sort of the add-on. Like once, once the conference reached a certain point, like, hey, let's add in these tables. And the margins on those are so great, you know. Um, but you have to, it has to be something that people really want, right? And, and like you said, engage with. So as much as possible, we try to, uh, you know, set the expectation for, for those exhibitors about what the, the, the attendees are like. For instance, I know that they're going to be interested in swag because, you know, um, a lot of them, this is the only conference they go to every year. Um, they like certain aspects of getting stuff, you know, um, and they know they're influential people. And so they sort of want to, you know, be rewarded for that to a degree. At the same time, they're entrepreneurial. Most of them are, are pushing toward entrepreneurship and we coach them at the same time. But we tell them that, you know, we want FinCon to be a place where that is very transactional, where people come and do, do business together. And so it's not a PR a lot, of, a lot of conferences and ex exhibit shows end up being just kind of a PR show. Look at our big thing, our shiny new thing, you know. Um, but we want it to be, hey, look at our thing. This is something you can buy and or we can do business together, um, you know, for this thing. So we make sure there's like a lot of real value that people are walking away uh, from the event. We did the first Expo Hall in 2011. So we did it our third or no, not, 20, not 2011, 20, 2012. I guess it was in, in St. Louis, our third year. Uh, I didn't want to just do a box with a bunch of exhibit tables. Um, I was really scared of that, that no one would go to it. So we decided to make it more of a, uh, engaging environment, a carnival environment. That's kind of how I think of it. I try to think of it as a, as a place where, you know, people really engage with it. And so we, we do a lot of dedicated time to it. So we try not to let it compete with, sessions. If we do sessions during those times, we actually have them in the expo hall um, in glass booths. Mm -hmm. And we also do live podcasting in there. So we let all the attendees kind of do their shows in there. Uh, we just try to fill it with as many elements other than 
a 10 by 10 booth as we can get, as we can justify. You know, if, if we sell, sold out the complete room with just nothing but booths, I'd probably be tempted to pull out those extracurricular activities out of it. But we help, we think that helps to kind of make uh, the whole environment and the whole, you know, opportunity kind of rich, right? So you can go talk to Vanguard over here at a booth and then you can swing by a little session in, in, in the uh, expo hall. And then you can maybe go listen to a podcast or produce your own over here. Um, so, you know, we have just those, I think that multi faceted aspect to the expo hall versus just what traditionally has just been a line of, you know, booths. So we try to make it more exciting. Well, and there's definitely, there's a buzz. I mean, there's literally a constant, like literally a constant buzz happening in there because people are talking, people are doing everything. And it, I think it encourages people just to be, if you're not doing anything, if you're not in another session, that's the place you want to be. And I think for sponsorship, that is. How did it work out for you? Because I know it, the sessions within the sponsor or in the sponsor room was something you've recently incorporated. How is that working out with having those? I know you had one on either side of the sponsorship hall with the glass, the pex- plexiglass kind of settings. How have those been working with um, getting people more involved and getting them in the the area? It's tricky because we if we over promote them, people are disappointed they might not be able to get into those sessions, right? Because they're limited. Mm-hmm. Whereas when we're, when we're six wide with the main tracks, you know, there's plenty of room, but when the expo hall is really dedicated time. And then if we put those sessions on the main calendar, 2000 people get a notification about that. And then they might want to go to those where only hundred people can fit in each of those. So, um, it's a balance, you know, in, in years past, we've, we've de-emphasized the actual individual sessions and just said, Hey, what we call the solution center is going on. And there are talks going on and then you have to sort of go to the solution center to find out what the talk is. Um, and then this year we actually put them on the schedule individually to show them. And we put emphasized limited seating. You know, this is meant to not be a full session. It's a bonus session. They are being recorded. You know, if you, if you can't sit down here, you'll at least get it in the recordings. So it's, that's, it, that's actually been one of our uh, areas in the, at the event where we've, that's led to most disappointment, I think, for people. And so we have to really be careful with our expectations we set with our attendees with that. But in general, it allows us to have many more speakers at the event, to include as many speakers as we can. Um, and then, like I said, it allows us to have another element within the conference. The first year we did it, we did it with uh, in-ear monitor. So you sat down, you put an in-ear thing in. So we didn't even have the plexiglass. You just kind of sat down and you could hear the speaker in your ear and the little device. And then there were all people on the back that didn't have the devices who were disappointed. Yeah. The next year we did closed it in the plexiglass and then we didn't put it on the schedule and no one, no one came to the, no one came to uh. So this year we, we kind of combined both and we still ended up disappointing some people. So it's, it's a balance, you know? Um, but we feel like, we feel like people are getting a tremendous value out of our main track sessions and we want to set the tone that, Hey, during this time, this is about, doing business with our partners who have who have chosen to exhibit and, and sponsor here. So that's the primary emphasis of this time period. We do have some bonus sessions if you can get in them. If not, you know, check the recording out. Yeah. No, I know there were a couple of times I was on the floor in some of those sessions, but they were great. Like I always want at least one tip that I can walk away and be like, worth the money, right? Worth the money I spent, worth the time. And I I got actually mine out of my bonus session. So oh, good. good. Uh, how have you, what's been the trick for you two on growing? Uh, I mean, you're seven, you're 17, over 1700 people this year, correct? Right. 
yeah, I mean, from 250 to seven over 1700, that's incredible. So what have been the tips and tricks for you on building it? Um, obviously you're, you're having a lot of repeat people coming every single year, but you're adding to that too. Can you talk about, um, you know, what you've done for ticket sales, what you've done to build that? I mean, it's an incredible number. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so around year four, I started selling tickets, uh, immediately after the event. Mm -hmm. So I put, put tickets on sale or did a special limited launch while people were actually at the, that event, closing it out. So then I would announce, hey, there are tickets available for next year now. So it sort of captured the buzz. And our growth numbers went up pretty significantly once I started doing that each year. So I always make sure that at the end of the conference, we've got everything lined up for the next one in terms of location and date at least so that we can sell a ticket for the next year. Um, which requires you to be a little, you know, pretty ahead of things, but it's so worth it in terms of keeping people uh, engaged in what you're doing. Um from year to year, holding on to those people. Uh, we've certainly started the Facebook group, which and, and the other aspects of our sort of social or education that keep people sort of engaged with us year round. Um, they, they say in the industry, if you can get people to check out your event uh, when they buy their ticket and, uh, or, or more than when they buy their ticket and a week before the event, they can go to your website more than more than those two times you're winning in the event industry in terms of marketing. So interesting. Any, yeah. Any kind of inbound marketing content you're doing, you know, which you do fantastic with your podcast and all that leading up to your event. So anything like that, um, you know, is just kind of another touch point for them. Um, I would say, uh, you know, trying to get more, fr you know, fresh, we, we don't put a keynote on the stage really who's been there for the most part before. Um, we try to pull in new people for that. For the conference itself, we try to grow the tracks. So we feel like the more tracks we have, the more talks we, we, can, we can handle, the more the conference will grow. Um, and um, you don't want to overbloat it. You don't want to have empty sessions. And we try not to do that. But you know, we've, 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 grown, we've grown it, I feel like, by just giving people more ways to participate, whether that be you know, doing a talk, whether it be doing a, a round table or one of the mini sessions in the expo hall or being a volunteer. So we just really try to open it up in terms of involvement as much as possible um, to get people excited about being a part of it. Because once people feel like they own it and they're a part of this thing that's happening, um, you know, they'll, they'll be more faithful to it and more loyal to it in the future. Um, I don't know my, I actually just downloaded some software to kind of find out my numbers uh, in terms of repeat customers. I should know that number more, but I feel like we, you know, we've done a good job of, you know, attacking a certain community. Like I said, that sort of exists online. And so for them now, it's about returning to see their friends and return into a reunion type feel, you know, and I think any, any way you can kind of create that of environment where people are coming back to see their friends because, you know, education that could probably get online if I really wanted. Um, and we try to move the conference around, I think, which has helped as well. So going East coast, West coast, uh, central have attracted people from those hubs. Um, and so that's another way to grow the conference is, is just moving it. Yeah. I like that idea too. Cause like for me, it was right in my backyard and okay, I have to go, you know what I mean? And then it's like, oh, this really is worth traveling to. Like, and so you can attract that where, all right, I'll check it out. Let me see this year. I, I can't not go. It's right there. And then all of a sudden, oh, this is the place to be. I need to keep coming back. So yeah. that's a great point. Um, That's wonderful for sponsors too. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, one year I went to, we had our event in Charlotte because that's where a lot of financial sponsors are. And so it was a, it was a layup for them to all come, you know, and they threw big parties and now they've been a lot more loyal with us going forward. So think about your sponsors in terms of growth too, where you move strategically. That's really interesting. I never, you would think sponsor will go wherever. Right. It doesn't matter to them. So that's really, really interesting. I love it. And then with speakers, well, I mean, you've got a ton of speakers now. Uh, like you said, you're doing more tracks. You've got some main stage. How are you vetting those out? Is it just, it's an application process, people apply, and then you're just going through those. And how, what makes you decide? Obviously, they've got to have good content. I mean, that's obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, but how else are you putting those decisions or making those decisions? Yeah. So we do a serve. We we do we've done it different through the years. At times we've put the sessions out there and let people vote on them in the community. Uh, we do sometimes just do a pre uh, track or pre conference education survey. So we just try to find out what they want and then put apply everything to that filter. And then our team, me and our team, will kind of make decisions. Um, I don't know. I, I built this event for me to a certain degree um, and my community, but. So I, and I'm still active in this community. I still have my blog and still participate. And so I feel like I have my ear to the ground in terms of what's needed or what's wanted. And also I'm, I feel like I'm the one who's uh, good at maybe exploring sort of outside of a community to hear like voices of influence that, that could also be good to have the event. So I do some personal invites to some of those people. Um, and uh, just, you know, we, we, we take a lot, you know, if it's not, if we, if we're a little worried about the speaker, like they haven't spoken before, but the topic might be good, we might put them at a round table or we might, uh, you know, do one of the bonus sessions in the, uh, in the expo hall for that. But, you know, we're, we're lucky in that we get a lot of, got a lot of quality submissions at this point. A lot of people want to share their expertise, what they're doing, because they, FinCon has become a stage to a certain degree for a lot of these people. And so they know they can move their brand forward a little bit. Uh, by uh, indoor, if they have a tangentially related product or service, they could offer. Um, you know, it makes sense to sort of be seen as an influencer or, or a thought leader to be a part of the FinCon experience. And so, um, we get a lot of submissions. I would say we got uh, for the 150 speakers, we got about 400 session submissions. Wow! So we have to whittle it down pretty significantly. I mean, there's that first cut that's easy, right? These people don't really get our event or this is a way off session. So we just, you know, cut that or let them know at least. Um, and then we always tell them, Hey, here's a discount code to come to the conference <laughs> if you want. Um, yeah. or we have this alternative event we call ignite FinCon, which is one of the third party events someone brings and does there. Oh. And it's a speaking event as well. It's like a nighttime speaking event. So we always encourage them to submit to that as well. So we can kind of give them two follow up pieces when we reject them, which always sucks. Um, I, I hate rejecting, but we can say, look, you know, submit your ideas to this, uh, this mini conference at the event. And then, uh, you know, here's a discount code for next time. So, um, and then the next level is a little harder to whittle down. We, we have our tracks, which helps, you know, having specific tracks. Um, and then we try to look at, uh, you know, how we, we know if the people, I, I pretty much know if the people are doing good work in our community. I can tell, um, if not, once we look at their profile, it's pretty apparent that, you know, they're, they're really influential. So, um, I'm not a king maker. I'm a, uh, I'm a curator. So I just try to bring the people who are already doing good stuff to get, you know, forward. 
Yeah. Now, are you, I know you're, you said you're really trying to bring fresh stages to the main stages, like the, Mm -hmm. like you said, I hate the tier thing too, but, um, but are you like, if somebody's great, are you bringing them back year after year or are you trying to do fresh on the tracks too? How do you balance that? Um, I don't worry about that too much because it, it, um, folks tend to kind of take a year off. Okay. You know, after they've done a big presentation or big, they'll say, Ooh, that was fun. Glad I did that. And then they kind of check that off their list. Most of the, most of the people in our community aren't like professional speakers, you know, so they're not looking to run the circuit and do this. Um, and so they'll take that year, a year off and then maybe have another fresh idea, something they built and they want to showcase it. Um, so to me, you know, I, Obviously, I don't want to repeat the same sessions. Right. But there are sessions that you sort of need every year, too. Yeah. You know? And so, ideally, you kind of want a new person presenting it. But sometimes it's just like, oh, man, that guy's awesome. Like, he's really the best at speaking, at talking to beginning podcasters about how to get their thing going. Like, so, unless I really see someone come along that kind of can knock that person off the perch, it's like, I don't know, kind of like trust and know that guy and let's just keep rolling with that, you know, but, but maybe come at it from a fresh perspective, you know, or s- somehow spice it up a little bit. Yeah, no. And I, I like I said, it, this is, if you want to see how an event is run really well, I didn't tell you the story. So I knew you had, I, I mean, I never being there knew you were having hotel problems, right? Like I, I know you had a few issues this year and I met somebody who was like, just like the week after who works for the hotel you had it at she's i'm like oh yeah my friend just had his his event there she's like oh uh sorry (laughs) she was all nervous that i knew you i'm like listen he runs it like i had no idea there were issues going on it was so it was run that well so kudos to you because i mean it's just like i said if you want to see how an event is done right definitely check out fincon even if you're not a financial blogger because it just it's a large event that feels small I think that's what's huge too, is that if it gets too big, it's what your fear of it getting too big is that people will just get lost. And I mean, it felt small just with the round tables with the groups. And I thought it was just really well. So when I know next year's in our, is in Orlando, can you give us the dates and where somebody can go check it out? Yeah. Finconexpo.com is the web, website. Uh, the dates are uh, September 26th through 29th, my birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, closing parties, my birthday. So we'll have a lot of fun. Um, and uh, we're going to be there in the Rose and Shingle Creek in Orlando, which is a nice resort property. It's going to be the, probably the nicest hotel we've ever been at for FinCon. And Orlando will be fun. You know, bring, bring your family before or after. Uh, participate and do something with the parks. But the event will be great. We have a great hotel. Uh, hopefully create the same amount of buzz. Have some, some fantastic sessions. Um, and uh, just have a, a good time, a good party. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Excuse me. <clears throat> definitely event to check out. So Philip, thank you so much for talking this. I mean, you're one of the ones who've, who've made a business out of this. If, if you want uh, Dan Franks of, of um, podcast movement, I were joking. Event planner goals is to be able to play basketball <laughs> the morning of the event. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's your goal, like to actually sleep the night before and actually to be able to play basketball the morning of your event <laughs> is <laughs> your goals. You're there. That's, it's not about the money. It's about being calm and relaxed the day of your event. So uh, you, you've done it. You've gotten there. And uh, congratulations on all your success. Well, thanks, Aaron. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Hey, on. it's Aaron's from the Epic Live Events, and hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Now, I would love to help you with your live event. And how we're going to do that is by offering you our free live events budget worksheet. 
listen, events take a lot of resources, whether it's time, money, or a little bit of both. Uh, you've got to figure out a way to really utilize this in your business to make your money back. So this spreadsheet has both sides, the different costs you may potentially have, how you can fill those in. You can just, you know, fill in whatever number estimates, call some people, get an understanding of what it may cost you to put this event or different ways. Um, you can save some money. And then of course, on the other side, how are you going to make money back? Are you going to sell at the event? Are you going to sell tickets? Are you going to get sponsorship? Are there going to be different things that you can utilize in order to begin to make your money back? And this is a spreadsheet that will help you kind of, I'm a spreadsheet girl. That's how I think all the time, but this will help you really start putting the concept to paper or how can you do better in your, in your next event? And, you know, really make sure that bottom line, because as much as I would love to do events for free, I can't like it's it's a resource heavy thing, but I promise you so, so worth it. So you can find that you can go to our show notes over at epicliveevents.co. That's C-O. You can also get it in the notes of this episode or jump over to bit, B-I-T dot Lee dot L-Y slash epic underscore budget. Again, that's bit dot Lee slash epic underscore budget. And you can grab that, like I said, for free start the planning. And I'm telling you, it's so worth it every single bit.